again, JDI Connectors, or I should say people in JDI Connect lands. I'm Beth Oprich along with Ari Whitaker. She's always laughing every time I say that. Like, <laughs> I don't even know what's funny about that. It's just, it's just bad. You know, it's just, it's just yeah. Okay, I don't know what that means. We'll good. just move on. Life is good. <laughs> Terrific. Well, excited today for another episode of our podcast, JDI Connect podcast called These Are Our Kids. Yes, Ari says that because I can't say it very well. So we are bringing different people and trying to um, expose JDI Connect, if you will, to just the wealth of uh, diverse perspectives, knowledge, and experiences. And that's why we have Ari here. Like I said her <laughs> my words and she's just right on it. The, yes. And today we are fortunate to have Lisa Gary with us from Baltimore, Maryland. From Baltimore, Maryland. Yes. Lisa, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Great. Thank you so much for taking the opportunity to speak. Mm -hmm on our podcast mm -hmm. uh, to everybody our 3000 plus members strong in JDI okay. Connect land. All right. And we just thought it'd be so great to talk to you about your experiences in Baltimore. Okay. You know Baltimore gets a ton of attention. A ton. And so we thought maybe we'd talk to uh, you know get your perspectives on that. But before that, we always just like to get to know you a little bit more. Okay. So Tell us a little bit about you, Lisa. What what brings you to the work? What motivates you? How'd you get started? Why are you still here? That's a lot in one <laughs> in one question. Um, so, uh, what brings me to the work actually is um, I grew up um, on the grounds of a youth facility. Okay. And um, I live with a family member who was a, uh, one of the staff. And so I've always been in the world of youth justice. I never wanted to work in youth justice, but I always tell people this work is indeed a calling. If, 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 mm -hmm. Where at? Where did, where was the facility? Where did you grow up? On a, on a Charles Hickey school. It used to be called Maryland Training School so for Maryland, Boys. That, that yes, in Maryland. Okay. Yes. And um, my first math tutor was actually one of the kids there and he taught me fractions. Wow. And so from that experience and from my exposure, I was never afraid of the population, um, many of whom look like me anyway, mm -hmm. um, but I never shied away from um, this thought that youth can first and foremost be rehabilitated, but they bring some good with them too. Because okay. I couldn't do math. But he could. Right. <laughs> so um, that was always, um, that's something I go back to in terms of why I do this work. Well, you said a calling. Mm -hmm. And I, I stopped. Mm -hmm. It was Maryland. Because I, I think mm -hmm. geographically where we grow up factors into who we are. Too. Yes. So, mm -hmm. But the calling, let's talk about that. This so, is a calling for you. It's a calling for me. It is, I'll, I consider it to be a divine assignment. Um, I, I don't know if a lot of people know this about me, but I'm also, I'm a Christian minister. Okay. And so um, I haven't always lived a Christian life, but um, when, I real, when I developed my spiritual connection um, is when I got a sense of my purpose. And when I say this work is a calling, if you're not called to it, you won't do well in it. You won't have the patience for it. You won't have the temperament. You won't have the heart for it. You won't believe the best. For children, mm -hmm. the things that we're passionate about are the things that we work hard at and we protect and preserve it. And so for me, working in this field has always been my way of fulfilling my purpose. I feel like everything is set up um, for me to have a voice in this season. Um, 
And it's going to be that way until I pass the torch to someone else, which I plan to do. No, right. <laughs> no, no, you still got a little bit of time in here, right? Yeah, I'm not done. I think I'm right? ready to go right now. <laughs> I think that everyone should have a mentor and everyone should have a mentee. Okay. Kind of build that bench. Yes. But you've learned. Mm-hmm. And so you, your work, is like you know mm-hmm. on the shoulders of the people that kind of came before you and mentored you yes right mm-hmm. so so you're you're already thinking about building that bench but let's just stay mm-hmm. let's let's, okay. let's keep with what you're doing now mm-hmm. before we, let so, me ask can i yeah no please i mean i, I can listen to lisa I, garrett yeah, all me. day long <laughs> do you have or did you have a defining moment where you knew mm-hmm. or a particular client or someone that just really touched your heart then you there was complete confirmation that this was the work for you, or was there a special case? Um, it was a, it was a specialness of personal case. When I got into the race equity work, my time in this field is the exact age of my son, because I was pregnant with him when I started doing the race equity work. At the time, we called it DMC, Disproportionate right. Minority Contact, okay. and so that was my client. That's what touched my heart because I realized that I had just given birth to a young black male who will face the same structures, same policies, same um, legislation, um, and the same um, environment of intolerance, racial intolerance, um, even hatred. And so that was my motivation. Um, That was my aha moment, rather, in terms of this work has to not only work, this um, effort of reducing and eliminating um, disproportionate minority contact and really dealing with racial injustice and, and inequities, it had to work because his future depended on it. So I had different skin in the game. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. you were doing the work, mm-hmm. but it became that calling, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. With mm-hmm. that significant event. In yes, life, yes. Right? That's mm-hmm. what it, and then I don't mean to say that your work pardoned, and then, mm-hmm. I'm not sure that at all, you know, but. It's not like it didn't matter before, but it took a different significance. It did. Before, it felt like a job. It felt like something that I could do, something I was trained to do, something I even liked or enjoyed doing. It's after I had my own black male child that I realized that it was something that I must do, mm-hmm. that I owed it to him. Yes. I owed it to him and other kids who looked like him. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, different skin in the game. Mm-hmm. I've always been passionate about, because I'm passionate about human beings, period. Mm-hmm. Um, and the oppressed. I speak truth to power. Mm-hmm. That is, you know, part of, quote, unquote, my calling. I speak truth to power. And I don't like to see systems of oppression, particularly when they go unchecked and really when they go unchecked because we don't have the knowledge to mm-hmm. check them. Um, and so my willingness or my desire to gain as much information as I could about how do we go about changing the system, that started in 2003 when I had my son. So Now, are you like always from like Maryland, Baltimore? Like did you, Baltimore. did you work in different places or like your whole like work history, Baltimore? My work history was Baltimore, um, in Maryland. I, as I've gone only as far as Washington, D.C. when I was with the Center for Children's Law and Policy with Mark Sola and his wonderful team there. I'm doing the work with the MacArthur Foundation Models for Change. And that was for four years. And then I came back (laughs) to Maryland. And so I've always been here um, and always wanted to work here because I love Baltimore. Despite what the media shows or says, Baltimore is, is truly charm city. 
and that that's Baltimore's nickname. But you're right, that's not the rap. It it's not the rap, but that's because I mean, someone can say something about me, right? And until you get to know me yourself, you will believe it unless you take the opportunity to get to know me. It's the same with Baltimore. We had the same issues that other states and other cities and counties had. Um, it's nothing spectacular. Like it's really, really bad in Baltimore. I've gone places um, in the JDI community to conferences, and they say, "Well, you know, what's it like in Baltimore? The same as it is where you are." Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, it's, it gets a bad rap. Yeah. Are there some unique qualities or characteristics about Baltimore that you think contributes to that misconception? I think that we've had a number of high profile events involving um, youth, mm-hmm. involving crime, and youth in crime. <laughs> and so yeah. um, I think those high profile moments um, have come to define us a bit, and they, it's been more than one. Um, we've had some bad press for people coming to the city uh, as tourists and, they, and having negative um, events you know, occur for them and to, for Which them and their families. It happens in every city, but because it's Baltimore. I mean, one of the things that we currently have not really come, I want to say healed from has been um, Baltimore rising. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit more about okay. that because here you are as a J, how long has JDI been in Baltimore? We started in 2001. 2001. And then we reset with all new leadership in 2011. And that's okay. when I came back okay. to the work. So, so the, the, the framework of JDI has been here since 2000 and in, in 2001. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about a JDI site. Now, understanding that, that we had a reset along the way, mm-hmm. but still J, a JDI site since 2001. And let's talk about that in context of, first, let's make sure our listeners understand what, what, what we're talking about when we say Baltimore Rising. So Baltimore Rising was the movement, the grassroots movement that occurred um, with the um, incident that involved Freddie Gray, who died in police custody. Um, and so the, it, it was not a riot. It didn't start out as a riot. It started out with a group of young people deciding that they wanted to protest. Um, and, and, and that there had to be um, justice for black and brown children. And that just wasn't just about what happened with Freddie Gray. You had other incidents. You have someone with Trayvon Martin and, you know, Mike Grant. You had a number, you had Ferguson, you had all these things going on. And it was like the perfect storm. Mm -hmm. And so um, how things evolved with Baltimore Rising, without getting into some, all the details and legalities and cases already been, you know, in court and everything, the outcome of Baltimore Rising um, was that, Baltimore got a negative rap and um, in terms of it was seen as um, people rioting for no purpose, no, or no, no, just, just to be on the street um, and nothing can be further from the truth. And from Baltimore rising and from the events, um, I, I always say out of chaos comes order. We've had some wonderful um, grassroots movements that have been um, built up and sustained since then with community holding system rightfully accountable for its decision making. We got the consent decree. It came out since that um, for Baltimore Police Department. And so you had, it really created, um, in my opinion, a means of community being able to hold system makers accountable, system decision makers accountable. 
So that's what Baltimore Rising was. But all, if you're not from Baltimore, you don't know all the backstory. All you know, if you think about Baltimore, you think about what you saw on TV for two days. Yeah, you saw fires. You yes. saw mm-hmm. police mm-hmm. really in, in right. riot gear. Yes, you contained know. all to a two to three block radius. But you wouldn't have heard that. Right. You would have you thought the entire city. Yes. I remember witnessing a community that I felt connected to mm-hmm. and had experienced a this compounding of suffering mm-hmm. that at a certain point needs to have some sort of response. Right. And it seemed very appropriate, mm-hmm. especially kind of thinking about the whole entire climate. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was very like viscerally mm-hmm. awake to what was going on and mm-hmm. I felt just, you know, empathetic. About right. And that was an awakening for many life. young people, yeah. for many um, persons who had, did not have um, access, let alone a seat at the table. And so it was necessary. Like I said, out, of, out of the chaos came some order and some good. Yeah. But the, the night that that happened, mm-hmm. right, that the crowd started, were there a lot of arrests? There were a number of arrests, mainly from the school. Um, that afternoon, and um, you saw the kids, and then you had the police lined up in riot gear, and the kids, and there was this confrontation. And so there were some arrests, and there were some detentions in terms of trying to, because we weren't sure also, uh, when I say some, some detentions, there were some overnight stays in detention, um, because as a system, we weren't sure. It, it was very chaotic. We had the, um, whether or not parents could come out to get the kids. Mm -hmm. And so some of the decision-making there, I think, had mixed results. Um, Some of our our collaborative stakeholders, some of us felt one way (laughs) about, you know, all decisions. But in real time, you know, one of the things I would say, you never know what would happen when you're a JDI site, if you had something like that to occur on your watch, well, how you would respond. And that's why I think it's so fascinating. And again, mm-hmm. appreciate the opportunity to talk to you about mm-hmm. it because you you have the core strategies, which you know mm-hmm. theoretically, right? Mm-hmm. Now they're 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 meant to be in practice. Uh-huh. So here here's an example of it gets real. It gets real. It gets real. And it tests what you think that you think, mm-hmm. and it tests what you think that you know. Uh-huh. In other words, um, one of the things that I think is very important for us as a site, um, particularly post like 24 hours after. The rest that first night, uh, there was an opportunity to, to huddle, mm-hmm. get ourselves together, release those kids, <laughs> many of whom had no record or involvement with the youth justice or any other system, um, and go back to the fundamentals like, what are we doing here? And more importantly, not allowing the media to give the narrative in terms of who's a risk. Because we have objective screening. We have our risk criteria. It's set by mandate, by legislation. We know how we measure risk, and we have the tool to measure it. So the importance in crisis, use it. Mm-hmm. And when you don't, or you, make a, you have a hiccup, fix it. Fix it right away. Right. <laughs> so right. we were able to do that, but it took a minute. Yeah. So. Did you feel like the, you had the tools and strategies in place in order to not be reactionary? Or was it just so much of a crisis at that point mm-hmm. that it was just... It was that first night was such a crisis. Okay. Um, and, um, and you are, the job you're in now is the job you had then. Had then, okay. yes. But I, um, and so, and we had the same leadership. We had the same secretary, um, uh, Secretary Sam Abed. So he's been with us since 2011 as well. And so, again, most importantly, we were able to, regroup in the morning 
and say, let's not lose or abandon our values. And that's the most important thing about JDAI. We always rush to what's the innovation? What do we do? But at the end of the day, you have to have those values that are core to who you are and who you believe yourself to be as a system because that's what's challenged in crisis. Not your tool, not your D-Ray, not your grids, right. not your ATT um, um, alternative, continu to, um, alternative continuum. What is challenged is what you believe and what you're willing to, um, to stick up for. And that's what got challenged, our belief about um, fair, fair decision-making, objective decision-making, and are these kids who were arrested on that night are there risks? And the answer was overwhelmingly no. Is it, or were they dangerous? Yes. You know, mm -hmm. now, and, and that's where if, if the system, right, mm -hmm. is rooted in, in those values, that's mm -hmm. why, you know, one of the things that I always thought, was, you know, made such sense with JDI is that it's a values-driven initiative. It is. And it, but as long as you keep it, keep that as your focus about the values, like I said, a lot of times, and I, I'm getting older now, and the initiative, and people call to ask me questions. And people call and ask me different questions, and I always push them to, why are you even asking questions? How does it align with your value for reduced over, um, reliance on security attention? How does that align with your values for ensuring a fair and equitable system regardless of your race or ethnicity um, or even your affection orientation? So for me, I am less concerned about the what we do, but I'm more concerned about why we do it. You know, and so those values, that's what, is, that's what stands under fire, your values. So we're going to come back to that. We're going to have to take quick break here and then mm -hmm. we're going to come back in and and i'm glad you brought us to one of our next questions okay. is the kind of why oh, so yeah. we'll talk about that and we want to hear more about baltimore resetting okay but thanks for taking us and and walking us through the baltimore rising so we'll be back after a quick break here okay hello i'm sam ludwig from elkhart indiana and i want to tell you a little about jdai connect JDAI Connect is an online destination where anyone, practitioners, policymakers, community groups, advocates, youth, families, researchers, and really anyone interested in, in juvenile justice reform can talk, share resources, and learn from one another. It's a vibrant community rich with discussions, resources, and training opportunities. I use JDAI Connect to get motivated and inspired. Juvenile justice reform is hard. It's really hard, but there are a lot of people doing amazing things that if not for JDAI Connect, I may never know about. Join me at jdaiconnect.org. That's www.jdaiconnect.org to begin connecting with your colleagues around the country. And now back to the podcast. Okay, so we're back now with our guest, uh, Ari Whitaker, and I'm back with our guest, Lisa Gary yes. from Baltimore, Maryland. Yeah, Lisa, um, I didn't get a chance to ask you, where, where do you work and what's your role for some of the folks who may not be familiar? The state of Maryland, Department of Juvenile Services. I am um, the equivalent of a state level state scale coordinator. Okay. Um, we only have one JDI site. Um, we do a little... Uh, equity work in Prince George's County, but Baltimore City is our JDAI site. Um, so I'm, I'm officially Director of Equity and Reform, but I am the equivalent of a state-scale coordinator. Wow. Okay. Thank you. And you know, and mm -hmm. I just made the assumption that everybody knows Lisa. Gary, so I appreciate, <laughs> no, I 
I appreciate you backing us up there, Ari. So, thank you. Thank you, Ari, for cleaning up after me again. I appreciate that. So, Lisa, you talked before, like, before the break, we talked, you talked about reset. You talked about uh, JDI came to Baltimore mm -hmm. 2001, but then it reset. Like, mm -hmm. I, I'm not sure that I understand what you mean by that. So when you've been doing an initiative for a long time, as you know, for a lot of the um, key leaders of public sector agencies, they are, you know, appointed or assigned, they, some of them are elected in and out. And so we had um, a total change in leadership in 2010, 2011 at the point of juvenile court. Um, my agency, Department of Juvenile Services, we had a new um, lead for um, the juvenile division of the state's attorney's office, as well as the public defender's office. So we had all new partners at the table who came to the table willingly but without what are we doing and why are we doing this why are we having this meeting what is this data what what is this saying about us and so uh the secretary sam abed he was not um happy nor was our um judge at the time um was um robert kershaw the honorable robert kershaw and they were not happy with just coming to meetings, going over reports. So it, things had become very complacent, very stale. Um, there was not a lot done. There were some things that came out of the first 10 years of JDI in Baltimore City, uh, specifically change, um, case processing, which significantly reduced lengths of stay just by expediting kids getting to court. Right. Um, uh, we had several versions of a risk assessment instrument. Every county, is 24 counties in Maryland, 24 different risk assessment instruments. Wow. And so we weren't happy about that right. because we had justice by geography. Sure. Um, and so a reset was um, Judge Kershaw, Sam Abed, met with Bart Lubau. And Bart explained, this is what JDI is. Are you in or are you out? You know how Bart is. Oh, yeah. And so, you know, you out. And if you do this, this is how it needs to be done. Um, pressing those principles of safety, reducing um, reliance on security attention, for, particularly when it is not necessary. Most of our kids, at least 66% are low and moderate risk. Um, and so the reset was, let's start from scratch. We had a whole new system assessment done. We did a new detention utilization study. Um, I came in as coordinator, so you had someone who had a concerted effort to keep the, ball, <laughs> right. keep the ball rolling. Right, exactly. Um, and so it was the perfect time to revisit do, as if we were coming into the initiative for the very first time. Um, and by doing that, we were able to establish new priorities and understanding where our doors to detention, which ones were most problematic. We had a lot of um, technical violations of probation. We had a lot of violations of our community detention program. And so we were able to organize our work around the new, newest emerging trends from 2011, not the ones that were found in 2001, 2002. Mm -hmm. So that's what a reset is. It's basically starting all over again. Okay. And then that helps solidify your efforts. Without that, re without that reset, you're doing JDAI in name only. Right? In name only, right? Right. There's no, no commitment. The, the, the value, right? The, yeah. Yes. The yeah. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't become the priority of current leaders. Right. Right. And without that reset, mm -hmm. you guys, Baltimore, might have addressed the aftermath of Baltimore Rising completely different. Oh, that would have been completely different, right? Because right. you would it could it could have been. Mm -hmm. like knee-jerk reactions mm -hmm. like oh the kids are dangerous or right. why what do we do you know you right. might not have asked those same questions we would not have had the values 
discussion yep. because so much of our time was revisiting what is the purpose of use of security detention in Baltimore City? What do we believe about it? What does the law say? And how are we going to work to align what we do with what we believe about that? Yeah. That's important. Real quick question mm -hmm. about the process of resetting. Mm -hmm. I've done a lot with change management. Mm -hmm. And so what was that process like for folks who may be thinking about, man, we might need to get into that process. Mm -hmm. Getting folks on board, mm -hmm. was that difficult or is it just kind of like, like kind of Bart <laughs> Bluebell said, mm -hmm. you in or you out? As Nike says, just do it. Okay. Just rip the band-aid off. Mm -hmm. We starting over because we said so. That's it. Go. You don't have to have a lot of conversations about having a meeting for the subcommittee for change. And then how, well, you, know, you don't need any yeah. of that. Just do it. Like if you have the authority to do it, just do it. I love that. Mm -hmm. Boom. Done. Okay. <laughs> so thinking about all that has happened, mm -hmm. what is your two questions? I have, you know, it's kind of a two part. Two part. That's two part. Okay. Yeah. Let's set up. <laughs> well, what do you think is the future? of GDAI in Baltimore, um, all things considered. Mm -hmm. And then circling back to the underground, I mean, the overarching thing of purpose, mm -hmm. how does that connect to your your why as it stands now? Right. So we have a new juvenile court administrative judge who just came in, um, came on board. Um, I think he's been here maybe three to four months, um, Judge Emanuel Brown. We spent the first couple of months talking to him about um, our work, um, where we just, were. Are your judges in Maryland just because it's so different across the country? Are they elected, appointed? They're appointed. They're appointed. Mm -hmm. So you have a new, newly mm -hmm. appointed judge. Yes, they, yes. So they okay. rotate. Okay. Yes. And so um, we spent some time talking to him about the work. Uh, uh, Nate and I met with him uh, with, with um, Secretary of Bed. We came up here to have um, into Casey because that's the whole point of being in Baltimore. We're here with Casey. Yes, you are. So, <laughs> So we came up here, we had a conversation, and then we took him out to our community detention program and our evening reporting center, and he loved it. That's what, that was Sal, where he said, if I know the kids are receiving this type of service, and they're having groups, and they're doing all kinds of activities, um, they're being served dinner, you know, yeah. this is what he needed to, he said, this is what I need to see. Yeah. Um, well, and, when we talk about alternatives, mm -hmm. how are we asking judges to consider alternatives since there are no alternatives? Exactly. Or they, they don't see them. They got to trust them. Right. So, um, so he, we will um, begin our meetings um, this month. Uh, with him as co-lead to um, to to the um, subcommittee with Secretary Bed, and um, the future is going forward in the same way. How we did have um, a slight shift in that we reached a place where we had at some point we started out with a hundred and nearly one hundred and twenty kids pre-adjudicated juvenile detention in detention in two thousand eleven. We were down. We've cut that number by sixty five percent. Um, and so we were for, Baltimore. for Baltimore. For so Baltimore City. In, in Baltimore City, mm -hmm. less kids in detention than, mm -hmm. you know. Some other places. It's but it's Baltimore, smaller. right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. um, because, we, again, this aligning, you know, who were the kids who present the highest risk um, um, pending their adjudicatory hearings and which ones don't. And put those kids back in the community, not even in alternatives if they're no risk. Mm -hmm. Send them home with their parents. Right. Give them resources and right. services. Um, so uh, what, what we did in understanding that we had a smaller population, 
we started taking some of the kids the whole as courtesy in the juvenile facility who were charged as adults and who were being held at adult facilities, which are you you know are horrific for children. Um, so we were able to they began to be more of the population that we had in detention facilities. They outnumbered the number of kids we had for pre adjudicated juvenile detention. So they were pending their transfer hearings, and they we were able to move them to the juvenile facility so that they can get educational services they needed, and they would have more age appropriate developmentally appropriate services and programming just temporarily because one of the things I always say detention is not a program right <laughs> detention is not where you send kids to get services but what they did get was more um, age appropriate developmentally appropriate for them so I'm glad that you took a moment to say that and oh yes yeah, because I've heard and seen mm -hmm. in practice that you know folks would treat detention like oh you know that's not a program that's no, not a program at all <laughs> the other thing we treat we try to mm -hmm. scream from the mountaintops mm -hmm. is detention should not be a portal for treatment right exactly right? kid needs to get you know counseling so we'll put him in detention because yeah, no, absolutely no, no, not no, no, no. Yes. <laughs> right yes. so but um again it was very important for us to see those kids who were um charged as adults being out of the adult facilities sure. and um in the juvenile facilities so we're going to continue down that path because we still have fewer kids um in detention and we pre-adjudicated detention than we had in 2011 before our reset um what we do what we did shift a little bit was i won't say it's a shift it was just a right time to infuse our work with a race equity lens and so we've been doing a lot of race equity work mm -hmm. and just considering our principles for um, reform for objectivity and, you know, reduced lengths of stay, um, fair decision making. We did all of that through this lens of what's the impact now on children of color? Because despite those numbers, um, fewer kids, disparities in terms of overrepresentation went up. It was almost 100% African-American youth. Mm -hmm. In Baltimore City, city it is a majority-minority um, jurisdiction, but it is not 100%. 100%. Okay. <laughs> and so um, we were able to understand that just doing reform was not enough. But we had to also be more intentional about addressing racial and ethnic disparities. And so if we're saying we're doing alternatives to detention, where are they located? Mm -hmm. How are families, um, youth and families of color, how are they faring in those um, programs? When we have a uh, graduated responses grid, um, are, is it fair? Um, can kids oh, um, of color, can they get the same incentives Right. as their white peers. So we had to start asking those kind of questions just because, I, and I was very cognizant that having fewer kids did not mean that we had a good system. We just had very, fewer kids in a system that still needed a lot of work. Right. <laughs> so that was different. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the, that's the work moving forward. Again, just trying to be much more intentional about racial and ethnic disparities, as well as inclusion mm -hmm. and giving parents and community more voice at the table and more power. Because people think inclusion is just inviting community in. Right. That's not inclusion. That's a new invitation. That's an expanded table. Mm -hmm. Inclusion is shared power. Yeah. So, so regardless of what we hear on the TV, mm -hmm. the future of Baltimore is bright. I think so. It's always okay. bright. I love Baltimore. Okay. Okay. That's, <laughs> that's the challenge of yeah, the This is my hometown. Born no, no, and no, raised. No, they're lucky to have you. Thank for you. sure. Thank you and so, so much. with being, you know, so passionate about Baltimore, mm -hmm. that purpose, is it the same? Is it 
still your son or has it expanded or shifted? It's always going to be my son. Right, right. <laughs> right, course, but it's, yeah. been, it's, it's always been about kids who look like him. Mm-hmm. He just gave it a face right, in a way that was personal to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that had I not had him, I would have met someone, again, back to calling and purpose, I would have met someone, even kids who I had on my case, though, who I love and adore. Some of them I still keep in contact with. Mm-hmm. I've lost some, too, wow. um, to not only um, jails, but also to the grave. Um, and so for me, it's very important to always be looking for, um, I don't think I had to look far for motivation or inspiration to do this work. All I had to do is have a heart to see what the, what the need is. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's just... There you go. I'm motivated right now. <laughs> well, I, I just got to say, you know, and I don't end every podcast with this. I'm just telling you, but Baltimore is lucky to have you. Oh. The field is lucky to have you. And thank so you. I, for one, who have dedicated my career to young people, mm-hmm. thank you on behalf of somebody who's, mm-hmm. you know, tries to bring that dedication. So yes. really, you. they're fortunate. It's a pleasure to do this. With this so we'll, listen, before we get too sappy, mm-hmm. right? Let's go to, uh, let's, we, we, end, we end our podcast. Yeah, I don't usually give that many compliments. Trust me, I didn't give them the name. That's what I meant. Yeah. But I'm just truly, I, I, uh, I'm just thrilled that you're part of this and, mm-hmm. and talk on our podcast, but just the work that you do, I want to acknowledge. So okay. thank you. Yeah, that's So awesome. we end our podcast, though, with. Uh, version of this or that okay right where mm-hmm. it's a forced choice right mm-hmm. it's just kind of a fun little game okay so i will ask the first one then ari will ask one okay yeah. <laughs> we should let our guests ask us but we're not going to no lisa gary okay it's our show lisa yeah. gary coffee or tea 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 i love tea yes. ice hot both both all both all tea okay. um herbal Tea okay. infused. I love fruit infused tea. tea. Yes. Okay, I, I, tea all the yeah. way. Tea okay. bonnet. I was so mad when they closed. <laughs> I didn't know they closed. They closed. Oh, okay, let's not get distracted. <laughs> we can do a whole podcast on tea. All right, all right. You Lisa, this or that? Okay. So, TV or books? TV. All right, we got to ask, TV. Yeah. What, what are the binge shows, man? What are you watching? Game of Thrones is oh, great. Come wow. on. <laughs> That's my favorite, Game of Thrones. Um, I, ha- I have several, but what I mainly watch are like HGTV, Home Makeovers, yeah. Fixer yeah. Upper, those oh, yeah. kind of things. Like because when you do this kind of work, the last thing you want to do is come home and watch episode of CSI back yeah. to back or Law and Order. I need a diversion. Yeah. I want something light. And I like yeah. designing. I, you know, I wanted to be a graphic designer. So I like all of that kind of right. stuff. So. so maybe when you pass that <laughs> torch, that's what you'll do. Right? I think I will. Well, if you ever help <laughs> do a podcast about your design, you know who to call. Okay, How's definitely. Oh. Thank you so much. Right. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you so much for being here. We appreciate you having us. Yeah, appreciate you Never mind. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you. That's what I'll just say. <laughs> Bye, Beth. Bye, Ari. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.